if we have not met, my name is David Breitenbach. I am a pastor. And even if we have met, I'm still David Breitenbach and a pastor. Uh, my wife, Angela, and I are uh, filled with joy every time we get to worship and be part of this fellowship. Uh, this is a really special uh, congregation, and it means a great deal to us to be able to be a part of it. Uh, some of you are probably aware, and most of you are aware, that we engage in global missions overseas. And so it is our imperative to share the gospel with everyone whom we meet. And as often is the case, we are able to, uh, to really see God working in, around, and through people. And the reason we want to share the gospel is what we know as Christians and what we hear from Christ. We love to share the words of grace. And so before we, we read our, our full text this, this morning, I want to share with you just a reminder of what we hear from Christ in, uh, in Matthew 5. And these are just the high points where Christ tells us that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For there's the kingdom of heaven. And we hear these words, and we have them move in, around, and through us. And in most cases, we want to share this with people. But we do this in a world that is counter to what God commands of us. And what God shares of us with us of his love. And I, I told Angela I was going to steal her story she may have shared it with you before, but this last summer when we were in Albania, uh, we always are able to share the gospel gently by gathering around children who are desiring to learn English. Uh, but we teach English by using uh, the texts from what we know in the Bible. And so every day there's a lesson, and then we dwell on that lesson, and we engage them in games and in art and in music, all sorts of ways for them to learn kinetically. But it was on one day that Angela had finished teaching her class. They, they read the lesson for the day. And often the kids still have a question about the lesson. So there was one young lady, 11 years old, her name is Anela, and she said, teacher, I have a question. And Angela was ready to answer to the text, and she said, is Jesus for everybody? Is Jesus for me? She couldn't wrap her head around the fact that, that Jesus is for everybody. And you feel some sadness that they, they don't understand that that's for everybody, but we have to remember the world in which we live. And so the, the gospel text that we are going to dwell on today is going to touch on that and help us to reflect on our own hearts. And so as you're able, I would ask that you stand uh, for the reading of today's gospel, which comes to us from Matthew 23, and it's the first 12 verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Jesus goes on to pointedly tell the Sadducees and the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, that woe to them because of all the things they're doing. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And on and on and on. We live in a world that's full of rules, very strict rules. And what the Pharisees and the scribes, they did, they piled thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rules and regulations, and people couldn't possibly keep up with them. And yet we live in a world where we pile these thousands and thousands of rules upon ourselves. We try to live up to the expectations of this world, thinking that we're living up to the expectations of God, not realizing that God actually knows who you and I are. Today's text from Matthew 23, it's, it's an insight into what Jesus was seeing around him and what he saw in the scribes and the Pharisees. It contrasted with what God was pointing on them and placing them, what they were supposed to be teaching and what had been passed down from Moses for generations, that they were to draw people to God. And the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, did not like what he saw. The scribes and the Pharisees had dumped tremendous burdens that actually separated the people they were supposed to be leading to God, separating them from God, all in the name of devising some sort of an ultra-religiosity by what they were doing. These human-devised burdens, they served to demoralize people. It did no good. The, whom, the people to whom these religious leaders, they were supposed to be drawing to God, they were failing miserably. And to make matters even worse, the scribes and the Pharisees were being the very worst examples of what it meant to be a servant of God. And to quote Jesus, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. I'm sure you'll agree with me that when somebody wears their phylacteries too broad and their fringes too long, it's just a disgrace, don't you think? What's a phylactery? This is the only place where that word occurs in the New Testament. And it comes from the Greek word uh, phylacterion, 
And simply what it is, it's an amulet of sorts. And no doubt you've seen uh, devout uh, Orthodox Jews praying at the praying wall, and they have these black boxes on their foreheads, and they have one on their left wrist. That's a phylactery. And they're fashioned out of leather. And what's contained in those boxes are four pieces of parchment, and they're four pieces of scripture from the Old Testament, the Septuagint. The scriptures are, and you don't need to write this down, but they're Exodus 13, verses 1 through 10, and then separately, verses 11 through 16. And then there's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Exodus 13, both of those scriptures, they remind people and recall the Lord delivering the people out of slavery from Egypt. And also, it's the institution of the festival of unleavened bread. So it's always to have a way to remember and to teach generations of how the Lord delivered them out of the bondage of sin, or rather out of slavery. We as Christians know that the Lord delivered us out of sin, death, and the devil. And so this is very much hearkens uh, uh, to, to what is going to happen. Now Deuteronomy 6, it may sound very familiar to you, particularly with our, with our New Testament ears. I'll read it for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when they are at home and when they are away. When you lie down and when you rise, bind them as a sign to your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then the Deuteronomy 11 text that's in those phylacteries and expands upon what we just read, but also provides a warning. Take care or you will be seduced into turning away serving other gods and worshiping them. See, every male Israelite from 13 on, they wore the phylacteries and the long fringes on days of prayer, not on the Sabbath and not on, on holidays, but only on days of prayer. Now, it's believed, though, that the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus was watching, that they wore their phylacteries and their long fringes every time they went out into public. And not only that, they fashioned their phylacteries to be larger than everybody else's so as to draw attention to them. Somehow, giving the idea that the four pieces of scripture that were in their boxes were much bigger than what everybody else had and that they had much more to, to understand from those. And as for the long fringe, do you remember the story of the woman who was hemorrhaging in Matthew 9? As Jesus was walking along, she saw Jesus and she thought to herself, if only I could reach out and touch the fringe of his cloak, I'd be healed. There's a lot more going on here. Let me read from Numbers 15, which institutes the fringe. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them to make fringes for the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on that fringe at each corner. You have the fringe so that when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And do not follow the lust of your own heart and your own eyes. 
We sometimes forget that Jesus was a Jew in good standing. And as a result, he wore the phylacteries during prayer. He wore the cloak with the long fringes, or rather regular fringes. But the fringes, they, they spoke to what that meaning is. And so for the woman who was hemorrhaging to reach out and touch Jesus' fringe on his cloak, it meant a great deal more than her just simply being healed. It was a testament to the sanctity with which she held God's commandments as a Jewish person. The fringe on the cloak represented to the woman not just the law of Moses, but an actual connection with God. So when the scribes and the Pharisees were parading around, the fringe on their cloaks noticeably longer. It was an exploitation of what God had commanded and given to them. It was seen by Jesus as just another attempt to separate themselves from the very people they were supposed to be serving and leading to God. And Jesus called them on it. He knew that what they were doing was feeding their own egos so that they might reserve for themselves the highest honor everywhere that they went. They had, in fact, become seduced into worshiping the pride of their own self-importance. Despite the fact that the very large phylacteries contained the exact same scriptures warning them of not to be seduced by the things of this world. That's exactly what they were doing. And so, good people of God, I ask you this question. How long is your fringe? Don't beat yourself up. God knows. Most importantly, the word of God is still the word. And what we receive from that word is still healing and renewing. I want to point out back in the scripture that we read, did you notice what Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees? It's at the very beginning of the text. It says, do whatever they teach you and follow it. And that may sound counterintuitive. Here are men parading around trying to draw attention to themselves, and yet we're supposed to still be listening to them. Why? Because like it or not, they were charged with teaching God's word and reading from the scriptures. And God's word is still the word. Despite their outward piety and all the thousands of religious rites and regulations that they burden people with, Jesus is making the point that despite their intolerable acts, despite your intolerable acts, despite my intolerable acts, the commandments of God are still good right and holy and this is simply and only because of God's grace mercy and love for you and so he added this little bit to it that none of us should be called rabbi father or instructor and this is because for you and myself we are students and we all share one father in heaven and we have only one instructor in the messiah We're simply messengers. 
And Jesus is pointing everything in our spiritual lives is pointed to God and God alone, or God the Father in heaven. He's not saying that we're not to address our dads as father. No, he's speaking in spiritual terms, to be sure. It is very clear in his message that the religious leaders are not being viewed as something spiritual or as a spiritual intermediary. Your pastors are not closer to God than you are. Priests are not closer to God than, they, than anybody else. We're entrusted to walk alongside and to guide flocks and to nurture one another in God's word and drawing each other closer to our Father in heaven. What is taught from this pulpit, what is taught in our Bible studies and in our city groups and when we're out in the community must always reflect solely the word of God and God alone. It's without the embellishments or the hypocrisy or any of the other things that we, that we can parade around as. Now, the same term goes for instructor. This is important. All instruction that goes from his church is to be given proper credit and God alone. Everyone who teaches the word of God is an understudy. Every pastor who prepares to preach is an understudy. Every instructor so if we're not supposed to call our spiritual leaders rabbi or father, what about pastor? That's really more of a humility thing to be called pastor. If you think about it, pastor, it comes with the Greek word poimen, which means shepherd. It describes a humbled servant living in the wilderness with sheep. And as we prepare for Advent, this is the image we have in our minds. Who do the angels come to first? The shepherds, humbled, cold, dirty, smelling just like the sheep they're serving. <laughs> That's you and me. Now, my own personal opinion, what about the word reverend? I think it should be in the same category as father and rabbi, personally. Trust me, I'm no one to be reverend. It's an academic term. But the very reason behind the phylacteries and the fringes were the humility to encourage, to maintain a connection with God the Creator so as not to be seduced into turning away, instead turn toward worshiping him and seeing him in everything in the world. Everyone gathered here this morning is at a different point in his or her life or walk with Christ. However, we are all tempted to compare, aren't we? Some of us think, oh, wow, I could be, I wish I was like Pastor David. No, you don't. <laughs> or more often, we're seduced into thinking, look at me, I'm farther ahead than that person. We're sinners. That's the ugly Pharisee in you and me. But here's the encouragement. You're just an understudy. Just because you might have been at this longer than the other person, it doesn't give us the right to lord it over on one another. We need to check our fringe. And all this brings us to the crux of our call. 
The message today is humility and the imperative that we are to be witnesses to the glory of God. After all, we're just sinners and saints. We're sinners first and forehand, first and foremost. We're born sinners, we will die sinners. There's nothing we can do to change that. But God did, and he does, and he has. By the grace of God alone, he calls us saints. And that's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, by his grace alone. And that's the joy that we share. This is the foundation of our hope. Redemption in Christ is everything. It's the gift of God that's available to everyone. And it's nothing that we give to others. It's nothing that we earn. It's, it's a gift. So if it's for everyone... And we have all benefited by the knowledge of this gift. Why is it our inclination not to share it with those around us? This good news with everyone that we meet. Some of you are familiar with uh, it's a, a comedy magician group called Penn and Teller. And Penn Gillette, he is a uh, a self-proclaimed atheist. But he has some very harsh words for those of us who call ourselves believers. I want you to watch this short video. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. People out there are dying every day. And yet, often we find ourselves sitting in here talking about those people who are out there dying every day. What's our excuse? Why do we keep holding on to our fringes and our phylacteries? They don't care. What they do care about is that there's life, there's hope, there's joy. Now I shared at the beginning that my wife and I, we, we are in, we're in the business of missions. We go overseas. And I have to be very honest with you. It's much easier to share the gospel with somebody that you know you're going to be leaving in about two weeks to come back home. That's easy, really. It's much more difficult to go out, out there into our workplaces, into our schools, into the supermarkets, whatever we're doing, and see those same people every day over and over again and, and share the gospel with them. That's scary. I don't 
want to minimize that. So, so how do you get over that? Well, I've got an offer for you. I want you to watch this video, and we'll talk about it in a minute. That doesn't look so hard, does it? Looks like fun. Part of what we do in our ministry is sharing the gospel in really great ways. And no doubt you recognize some people from this congregation in that video. You're doing a really great job. You're, you're teaching. We had so many teenagers that served from this congregation. They made us so proud. They shared their hearts. They shared their stories. And they shared the gospel. And it wasn't preaching at people. It wasn't uncomfortable. You saw they were playing games. They were singing. They were enjoying each other's company. It's not hard. So here's another question for you. Out of that video, there were students from America, from Slovakia, from Ukraine, from Latvia, and from Germany. Who were the Germans? Who were the Latvians? This doesn't exist in God's economy. Revelation 7. After I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the answer to Nenada's question is yes, Jesus is for everyone. But sometimes you have to jumpstart your own spiritual life of sharing yourself with others. And so if you find it hard sharing the gospel here on this side of the ocean, come with us. Hone your skills over there. The students that return with us, no doubt you have seen that they've changed. They're more bold in speaking about hard things. They're more empowered in speaking to the glory of God in their lives, the work of God in their lives. So sometimes, and we have a, a good friend, Greg Finke, and I know I've shared this example before, but it's, it's still, still really uh, is poignant. Greg is from Texas. You know, in Texas, everybody drives pickup trucks. Greg, his big old pickup truck. Well, his pickup truck was getting old, and his wife said, Honey, I think we need to buy a new, a new car. She said, I think we need to buy a Subaru. Greg said, Subaru? Nobody drives Subarus. We live in Texas. Well, two weeks later, they were driving home in their brand-new Subaru. And Greg pulled up to the stoplight, and he looked around, and he said, I'll be darned, hundreds of other people bought Subarus today. <laughs> it gave him fresh eyes, new eyes, to see what was right in front of him and to see that we, we often... we play these tapes in our heads that make us believe that we're incapable of doing something. We're incapable of sharing ourselves with others. But that's so far from the truth. All we have to be are ourselves. God is working in you. It's nothing you've done yourself. It's by his grace, his love, his mercy 
that you are where you are and who you are. And you're put into those awkward situations to talk with people because God is saying, go ahead, it's okay, I'm with you. I'll give you the words to speak. It doesn't have to be rehearsed. We're not knocking on doors and saying, I'd like to talk with you about Jesus. It's sharing yourself with people in natural conversation. And that's what we attempt to do overseas through our ministry. So my offer is genuine. Come with us and see. That will forever change you. And you'll want to come back, just a warning. But it will empower you right here to do what you're called to do. And you'll be amazed if you think you look good as a Christian now, just wait until you trim some of that fringe and see what Jesus can do through you. All he desires for you is to be stronger and to know that true joy. I know that Pastor Justin shared a scripture with you, I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before. And I want to share it in closing as, as our prayer for, for this sermon as an encouragement of, of why we are to share ourselves and not forgetting those, especially in the season where we're anticipating the arrival of the Christ child and remembering who we are in Christ. This prayer comes to us from Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. Pray with me. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for these, your sons and daughters, called by you, anointed by you, sent out by you to be your hands, your feet, your voices of the gospel. May we be bold. May we embrace those awkward, difficult moments when we know that somebody so desperately wants to hear that they too are loved by you and that Jesus is for them, always has been, and will forever be. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.